This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Well, you may remember that we introduced you to Paul Tuff uh, more than a year ago. Actually, it was August of 2014. He had written a book called How Children Succeed. It looked at the important qualities that children needed to be successful growing up and heading into adult life. Well, after quite a stretch of speaking to schools and parents, Paul has come out with the next step in the process. His new book is Helping Children Succeed. It's just out this week. And Paul joins us on the show right now. Paul, great to have you. Thanks. Uh, good to be back. Thank you. Uh, so talk about that that time in the interim between when How Children Succeed came out and, and now the new book and what you did and how it kind of spurred this second book to happen. So the experience that I had was, was after How Children Succeed came out, speaking to different groups of, of parents and teachers and, and um, professionals of different kinds. And, and it was mostly when I was talking to teachers who were working directly with low-income kids, trying to, trying to help them, um, that I would get this question, which was, um, you know, the, the stories in the book are interesting, the ideas make sense, but what do we actually do? Um, now that we know this, what do we do? And, and I realized that I didn't quite have an answer for that uh, in my <laughs> book, and that, that a lot of the, the researchers who I'd written about didn't quite have an answer for that either. So that, that was this new project that I took on, to, to revisit some of the research and go and find some more, um, and put it together into a book that is more of a, uh, a handbook, more of a guidebook for um, people who are de- dealing with directly with kids to try to give them ideas about what we can do on a daily basis to help children. So then, so then what's the answer to that question then, the, the one that they were all these teachers were posing to you? Well, um, it's a, uh, I, not, I can't quite give it to you in one sentence. <laughs> Multifaceted uh, answer to it? I'll do yeah. my best. There you um, go. So one of the things that I wrote about in How Children Succeed was this set of skills known as, uh, sometimes called non-cognitive skills, sometimes called character strengths, Things like um, grit and curiosity, conscientiousness, perseverance, self-control. Uh, and I, I remain convinced that these are important capacities for kids to have. I think that the problem with the way that I was writing about it, and I think the, the, the way other people have interpreted this research, is that we're thinking about them as skills, the kind of skills that you can teach in school the way you teach math or reading or uh, geography or anything else. And mm-hmm. that instead, I think the right way to think about them and what the research suggests is that they are more the product of a child's environment. So the environment that we create for kids, both in the home and in uh, the classroom, tends to make kids be able to and tend to uh, persevere, to exercise self-control, to behave in all of the ways that are going to maximize their future opportunities. Um, But I think until recently, there there hasn't been a lot of attention put on what are those environments uh, and what can we as the adults do to create them. And and part of this is also the fact that we have, uh, and you focused a little bit on this in the first book, but even more so now, uh, the, 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 the situations where kids may be in you know, low income living where, you know, they don't have the resources as, as some of the other kids out there. Yes. And that, and, and I think we now understand more than we used to, um, especially from research being done in neuroscience, what it is about growing up in, in a, uh, high poverty community, in a low income home, um, in a family that has a lot of pressure and stress, uh, what, what that, what it is biologically that that does to a child's, uh, developing brain and body 
that sometimes makes it difficult for them to uh, succeed in school without getting um, additional types of support and help. Uh, and so part of the book is, is you know, about that science and trying to explore um, what a teacher, what a parent, mm-hmm. what any kind of professional should know about that science in order to change the way they uh, teach or change the kind of environments they try to create. And, and you bring up a good point. I wanted to get to it anyway, is the fact that, you know, it, the kids are a, a major component to this, but just as important are obviously the parents, what they are doing at home to kind of set that that uh, that pattern. and And then also the teachers as well that are involved in this process. Yes, I mean, I think I think one of the big things I'm trying to do with this book is shift the responsibility for um, gathering these skills, for for uh, getting these skills away from the children and toward the adults. Um, you know, which is not to let the kids off the hook. They've got to they've got to work hard in order to to I think develop these capacities. But um, I think there's something about the the non cognitive skill research that inclines us to just say like, okay. Kids need grit, so therefore they just have to figure out how to get grit, and it's not our responsibility. Yep. Uh, this this book is trying to push us much more toward thinking what we as adults can do to help that. Paul Tuff joins us. The book is Helping Children Succeed, What Works and Why. You're more than welcome to join in. Parents out there, give us a call. 844-WHARTON is the number, 844-942-7866. Uh, just what parents need to do. I mean, it's funny because I, having three kids that are you know nine and seven year old twins, I think about it every day. In that, what I can do to try and help the process out, to help them be in the right situation. I, I think the majority of parents think about that on a daily basis. I think the 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 problem may be uh, is actually implementing this in a lot of cases because of sometimes the financial situation, as you said, but just the fact that a lot of parents are so busy with their lives that unfortunately at times the kids are are, are not always the first thought. It's true, and and uh, you know, and I think I think. With parenting, we're always looking for sort of the quick and easy answer. Um, and unfortunately, uh, for better or worse, I think a lot of this research suggests that what kids, especially in, in early childhood, need most is just a lot of um, what psychologists are calling serve and return interactions, which are just those sort of back and forth, face to face exchanges between babies and parents uh, that, uh, you know, to, to us uh, parents <laughs> can seem kind of, you know, pointless and not particularly productive, Um, but to the babies are these incredible learning moments where they are gathering all kinds of information about what the world is going to be like, what their relationship with their parents is, um, who they are in the world in, in, you know, entirely pre-verbal ways. And those moments, neuroscientists are now understanding, are so important in laying the groundwork for the development of the kind of skills that later on matter so much uh, in school and beyond. Paul Tuff joins us. The book is Helping Children Succeed. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. So if the home life doesn't provide all of the qualities that that kids need, can the schools fill in some of those spots? Not all, but some of them at least. Absolutely. Um, So one of the the things that I'm trying to do in this book is sort of keep these two 
ideas uh, in mind at the same time. Both that early interventions, uh, early support in the home, the right kind of early environment does matter a whole lot. It's the best time for us to intervene in the lives, especially of kids who are growing up in adversity. But that if we don't get the right kind of support in those early years, it's definitely not too late. There are all kinds of things that um, teachers, but, but also other professionals, uh, other institutions can do uh, later on in childhood to help. And again, I think it comes back to that question of environments. Um, there's a lot of research around motivation in psychology that talks about how the, the kind of messages that kids, including kids up through high school, are getting from their environment, messages about uh, belonging, about possibility, about yep. skill, uh, that shape their motivation, have a huge effect on how willing they are and how likely they are to want to work hard and want to push themselves. And, and again, you mentioned this earlier, but, but you don't consider these to be skills. You know, this is, this is something a little bit different. And, and in some respects, it, it, these are uh, things that not always can be taught in the classroom. Absolutely. So uh, I, I think the, the idea of thinking about something like grit or perseverance as a skill um, is, on the one hand, very attractive. Uh, and in some, in, at some moments, it does feel like a skill. There are things that we can do to sort of push ourselves in that direction. But I think it's much more similar to, to sort of a, a psychological mindset. Um, it's a feeling that you've got when you're ready to persevere at something, when you want to work hard at something. Um, and like all psychological mindsets, it is largely the, uh, the result of, of the kind of messages that we're getting from, from the outside environment. And so there's a lot that we can do to change those messages and make them uh, conducive to yep. perseverance and thus to success. There are a lot of different ideas out there, especially when you run into situations where kids are not learning and in some respects are not even interested in trying to come to school. And there are a variety of ideas that are kind of going out there, one of which, which still amazes me that it would happen in this day and age, is basically paying kids to learn. And you, you no surprise, are not a fan of that. Um, well, it's, 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 you know, the evidence, it's the data that I think pushes us away from that. So, yeah, there's this... Um economist at uh, Harvard uh, named Roland Fryer, a great, uh, really a great researcher uh, who has spent the last decade testing out a variety of different um, uh, incentive programs, paying uh, parents to come to PTA meetings, paying kids for how many books they read, paying um, uh, kids for improving their grades. Um, and, you know, I think like a lot of economists, um, he starts from the point of view of uh, that incentives work, you know, that that's what motivates people in the world. Right. Um, and yet, you know, to his credit, he's, he's been very honest with the fact that these, um, these experiments have all shown no effect. There's just there's no lasting effect of, of, of the tens of millions of dollars that have been spent on these incentive programs. And, and when you talk to psychologists about this experiment, uh, as opposed to economists, they say, yeah, you know, no kidding. Like, it, they know, I think, and, and this, this study has now helped to demonstrate that what really motivates kids, like what really motivates all, all of us, are, are deeper things than just incentives, at least over the long term and at least in terms of the, the, the kind of big uh, personal qualities that matter for success. So what are they, what are kids looking for in this day and age when you're talking about education? What are, what are they looking for? Well, there, there's this... Uh, there's this research um, done by these two psychologists named Edward D.C. and Richard Ryan that uh, resonates with me a lot, and they, it's called self-determination theory. Uh, and their belief, and they've demonstrated this through uh, a number of research experiments, is that the three um, 
the, the, what kids are really motivated by is not external rewards, but what they call intrinsic motivation. And the three ideas that tend to push kids toward a sense of intrinsic motivation are feelings of belonging, feelings of competence, and feelings of autonomy. Um, and that makes sense to me. I mean, I think yeah. when I think about my own work, what motivates me, uh, it's not so much material rewards. It's feeling that I'm, I'm able to create something on my own that makes me feel good and makes me feel connected to other people. Uh, you know, it sounds a little bit mushy, but I think it's, it's the reality of what actually motivates kids. Um, and so there is a lot in the lives of children in general, and I think especially children who are growing up in low-income homes and communities, that does not incline them to feel a sense of autonomy or belonging or competence. Um, and yet I think there's a lot that we as adults can do to send those messages in the classroom and beyond. I, I was going to say there, there probably is a, a greater need more now than ever uh, of a connection of parents really being involved with their schools. Uh, you know, talking to the teacher and finding out what's going on is one thing, but actually being involved and being involved in programs at your kid's school really can have a, a, a huge benefit. Yeah, I think when, when, when kids feel a sense that, that there's one stable community surrounding them that, that yeah. includes both the school and the home, yeah. um, that's enormously uh, motivating and rewarding for them. But there are a lot of kids who don't have that feeling at all. What do you think, then, we need to improve in the schools uh, to kind of help this process along? I mean, p parents parents helping is one thing, but the schools still, you know, play, a, obviously, a vital role in this. Absolutely. And so I draw in helping children succeed on psychological research that shows what um, schools, uh, institutionally, and both in terms of the behavior of individual teachers, what they do to send these messages about belonging and competence and autonomy some of them have to do with uh, discipline. Some of them have to do with uh, just a, a personal sense of connectedness. There are schools I write about that have these um, advisory programs where kids, these are you know, in high-poverty neighborhoods, where kids uh, meet together in a group of about a dozen children uh, every morning with a, with mm. a uh, teacher there as well. They call it crew. Um, and they stick with this group through multiple years of school. And it creates for them this real sense of community and connection. They talk about schoolwork, but they also talk about home. Uh, and that, that for, especially for kids who don't have a sense of belonging anywhere outside of school, it creates this intense sort of motivation to show up, to feel uh, like school is a place that they want to be. Um, so relationships is part of it. The other thing I think that schools can do differently is it has to do with work, has to do with the, the, the work that gets assigned. And I think a lot of kids, especially kids uh, in, in high-poverty situations, are given work in school that is just kind of boring, <laughs> you know, that is remedial and repetitive and doesn't feel particularly inspiring. And what this research suggests is that giving kids work that is actually more challenging, more rigorous, more meaningful, um, that that changes the way the, the kids' level of motivation. It makes them want to um, persist and want to succeed. The book we're talking about is Helping Children Succeed, What Works and Why. The author is Paul Tuff. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Uh, I, I then with what has happened with a lot of of big city schools uh, and the struggle there is in, in some places to try and keep all the schools open, keep them afloat. I'd be interested to get your opinion on this push for charter schools and, and their impact on what has been a very up and down education system the last decade or two. 
So I've written about charter schools here and there over the past decade, and I still have somewhat mixed feelings about them. So uh, in terms of individual school environments, I think some charter schools are doing some of the best work at creating the sorts of environments for kids that make them feel that sense of connection, feel that sense of challenge. Right. Um, at the same time, when I look sort of more globally over what uh, charter schools and school choice have, have done, especially in high-poverty neighborhoods, is that they have tended to, to sort of um, pull away the kids who are most uh, from families that are sort of most together, most capable. Uh, and as a result, we have um, certain schools in high-poverty neighborhoods and cities around the country that are more... Uh, concentrated in terms of, of uh, kids who are growing up in really difficult circumstances. Uh, and, and those schools are really hard to make uh, successful places. Um, they just need an extra level of support that no school has and that, that especially these schools don't tend to have. Um, so I, so I, uh, I really do have mixed feelings that for individual kids and individual families, I think the charter school revolution has been really, really a positive thing for the system as a whole. I think it has had some negative, unintended consequences that we have to deal with. Paul Tuff is the author of the book, uh, How Helping Children Succeed. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. We're talking about how to make or how to help children succeed both in the classroom and in life. I, I think the, the other part of this, which is interesting to bring up, and we talked about it uh, on the show a week or two ago, is the understanding for kids, and obviously the the area that you live in may be a factor in this as well, but having kids understand at an earlier age, college is obviously one thing, but even in high school, how important those years, those education years are to setting up your future. And, you know, a lot of kids will think of it, hey, you know, it's, we, we're learning, but we're also there, we're having a lot of fun. But understanding that this is a very important time for kids to really set up what they're going to be the rest of their life. I, I think there are, you know, I mean, I think this is sort of a perennial fact of, of uh, childhood and especially of adolescence, that um, at this moment where we want kids to have this really long time horizon, of course they have the shortest possible time horizon in their mind. Um, they're, they're very focused on what happens, you know, at that moment and not, and not in the long term. And some of that is just inevitable. Um, you know, we don't want all of our adolescents to be thinking, you know, only about life when they're, when they're 45. Um, but I think, th- I think that there are ways that, um, that schools can do a better job of helping kids have a clear sense of what it takes to get to the kind of career, the kind of uh, uh, adulthood that they want. Um, and I think that there's this real disparity right now in how, uh, how much that happens in, in you know, well-off communities and in low-income communities. Um, in well-off communities, you know, there's just this, this atmosphere in the air of, of talking about uh, work and talking about college. Yeah. Um, when you're surrounded by people who have gone to college and graduated from college, you can see through childhood this, this clear sense of how that happens. And I think for, for people, for kids who are growing up in communities where college going and college graduation is not a natural way of life, it's this additional challenge to feel like, uh, how am I, how do I become a member of that tribe, of that, yeah. um, of that kind of community? Kevin is in Atlanta. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. My question is, when you talk about a more challenging curriculum, sort of what role are the textbook uh, man, uh, publishers playing uh, in sort of not pro- providing a curricula that's sort of 21st century uh, ready? And also, are the teachers uh, prepared to teach that type curriculum, particularly in the STEM arena? 
Uh, it's a great question. And so I, I think there, there's a, a, a group of schools that I read about in Helping Children Succeed called Expeditionary Learning Schools, which um, I think are a really good model of how schools can take a different approach um, to challenging students. Um, and so they do have a, 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 you know, they use textbooks, they use a, a standard curriculum, but they also do much more kind of imaginative and innovative teaching that, that I think is much more aligned with 21st century skills, um, including in their schools that, that teach, you know, a lot of high poverty kids. So kids work on longer term projects, they work in groups, they work on presentations to, to, uh, to the whole school um, about what they've learned. They do much more sort of revision and critique. So rather than just doing, you know, that, that day's worksheet, and then throwing them out. They work on a project through multiple iterations over a long period of time. Uh, and that is a kind of teaching, to be honest, that is harder, you know, that is more challenging and that a lot of teachers haven't been trained in. Um, but when teachers are given the kind of support and encouragement uh, that they need to, ter- to make their classrooms work that way, what some people call deeper learning approaches, um, it pays off for kids in all sorts of ways. Certainly, I think it develops more of these um, you know, practical uh, skills that are going to be useful in a 21st century workplace, but they also help on this psychological or non-cognitive level. It gives kids the experience of, of trying something they didn't think they could do, um, taking on a big challenge, get, watching themselves get better at it, mm. and succeeding. And I think that is uh, profoundly meaningful for kids. Kevin, thanks very much for the call. Quickly, Paul, I, I wanted to get this in before we go, and we got about 30 seconds left. Uh, I understand that, that obviously this book is available in bookstores and, and throughout, but uh, through the help of some generous uh, benefactors, people can uh, you can find a free downloadable PDF of this book as well, correct? Yes, except not quite yet. Okay, so that, all right. That's going to be up next Tuesday. Okay. If you go to my website, uh, which is paultuff.com uh, slash helping, um, on, on Tuesday morning there's going to be this web version and a PDF with lots of, uh, not only will it be free, it'll have lots of enhanced con- content as well. Great, Paul. Great work. Thanks again. We look forward to talking to you again. I, I'm sure that there's a, there, there's a next step after helping children succeed, so we look forward to seeing you back. Good. We'll talk about it in a couple of years. Thanks a lot. <laughs> you got it. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate it. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.